What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 79. This week, I got to talk with Brian Krebs from the Two Bucks podcast and the Western Rookie, which he's now hosting. We talked about his background, the two podcasts that he's doing. We talked about Western hunting, uh, which is what he's doing with the Western Rookie. We talked about whitetail hunting, and we got into a whole bunch more. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. I thought it was a good one. I enjoyed the conversation with Brian. Really knowledgeable guy. Had a lot of insights on stuff and told some good stories as well. So we'll get into that. But first, let's get into our sponsors. And I apologize if you guys are wondering where the Full Draw Fridays have been. As you can hear, my voice is coming back. It was gone at the end of this week pretty much. So that's why I didn't get the one this week. And then the week before this one, I had some stuff come up that was not planned. So we'll get back to doing that this coming Friday, hopefully. So make sure you stay tuned for that. My apologies for not getting those out. Let's see if we can get through this without my voice drying up on me. So our first sponsor, Grandpa Ray Outdoors. They specialize in providing the best nutrition for whitetail deer on your property, starting with the soil. They've got a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods. They were starting in 2015, but John's been in the business since 1991. They've got over 14 different food plot blends to choose from now. So no matter what you're looking for, whether that be grains, Fall blends, spring blends, switchgrass, pretty much anything for food plotting, uh, you're going to be able to find it there. They're not just about selling their products, though. They're going to answer any questions you have about what blends would be best for your specific property. That way you can achieve the best results possible. John and his team don't believe in the cookie-cutter approach to wildlife nutrition, so they're going to treat you and your situation individually. They're not about a fancy label or package either. They're about good quality seed and taking care of their clients. We've used their seed blends on client properties, our own properties, uh, for the past three years now, I guess, close to it. And the results have always been as good as advertised. So that's why we're going to continue to use their seed. That's why we partnered with them in the first place. You can check them out at GrandpaRayOutdoors.com and use discount code RHOPODCAST, all lowercase, no space, and you'll get 5% off your order there. We've also got some stuff in the shop if you want to stop by and get some of that. Our other sponsor for the podcast this week is Rodney Hawkins. So if you're looking for your own piece of ground to manage and hunt, Rodney's the guy you need to talk to. He grew up hunting and fishing in southern Illinois, and now he's putting that love for the outdoors into selling recreational properties as a land specialist with Midwest Farm and Land. Midwest Farm and Land isn't your average real estate company. They sold over $85 million worth of ground in 2022. They've got agents like Rodney all over Illinois. They're really a local company with a national reach. For more info on them, any ground that may be available, getting yours posted to sell, or just seeing what's out there, Give him an idea of what you're looking for. You can call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153, and he'll get you taken care of. He's also recently started his own company called RG Outdoors. They've currently got hard and soft-sided blinds and blind chairs off from Radix Blinds, in addition to an all-natural scent elimination product called Camo Dust. They've also got burner self-defense weapons now, as well as Tacticam trail cameras. So anything they've got going on, again, you can call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153. Go to their Facebook page, RG Outdoors, or email them at rgoutdoors@yahoo.com, and you'll see all their products that they've got. Uh, he'll answer any questions on any of that stuff as well, and you can get yourself hooked up with something that that he's got up there. So, also don't forget about our socials: is Ridge Hunter Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. We do have a Facebook group now for our listeners. It's called RHO Podcast Patrons. So go join that. I'll ask you a couple of easy questions, and we'll let you in, and you'll get kind of updates on what's going on. And some exclusive content in the future. You'll be the first ones to know when podcasts come out, even if you aren't subscribed and all that stuff. So go check out the Facebook group, RHO Podcast Patrons. Also, our website, RidgeHunterOutdoors.com. Anything you find on there that you like, 
Use the discount code RHOPOD for 10% off. That's all caps, no space. Also, follow us on Apple and Spotify. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you know when stuff's coming out. We're doing the vlogs now. We've got Jeff's going. We've got the cabin vlog going. Hopefully, we're going to get one going with Nate soon. I know he started on some stuff today, so we're excited about that. He's got about close to 10 acres of stuff to plant right now. Uh, new stuff, He's along with his old stuff. So maybe we'll get some videos done at his place again this year. But you can keep up with that by subscribing to the YouTube channel. And that's just Rich Hunter Outdoors as well. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode with Brian Krebs. So let's get into it. This is the Rich Hunter Outdoors podcast. What's up, everybody? Scott Clark, Canyon Clark here with you. We've got Brian Krebs on this week from the Two Bucks podcast and the Western Rookie podcast. Brian, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Pretty good, man. Well, Pretty good. So, like we were kind of talking about before we got started here, what we like to do is get into your background and kind of where you got started in hunting. So, who got you started? A family member, a friend? And what did you get started hunting? Was it deer, turkey, squirrels? One guy told us he started bow hunting on bear and turkeys, I guess. So uh, what did you get started on? Who got you into it? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, growing up in central Minnesota, my family had a few farms, just a few places of private land. And almost all of the guys in my family hunted, cousins, uncles, dad, brother. And so it was just kind of a culture thing for us growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, we did, we did a lot of pheasant hunting and a lot of traditional firearm deer camp style Mm -hmm. hunting. And that was really hunting season for us. And so as soon as I could start walking and keeping up, I was, I was, you know, walking with a BB gun for pheasants and obviously not shooting anything and then sitting with my dad in the deer stand. And then when I turned, you know, 11, 12, I was starting to get to bring a shotgun along if I was real lucky, Mm -hmm. you know, ever since then, obviously been hooked. I, uh, I started bow hunting because I wanted, I thought it was cool when right. I was like 12. And so I was trying to shoot like my dad's old bow with aluminum arrows that were all bent and yeah. it just wasn't working. And so dad finally bought me, he finally let me buy my own bow once I was done growing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was going bow hunting. I couldn't drive yet. So he'd have to drive into the property and then him and mom would go out for dinner and I'd sit and stand and didn't shoot anything for a lot of years, but I was just hooked on the bow hunting. And so that kind of expanded. But at that same time, my brother started looking at, at bow hunting elk Mm -hmm. because he could hunt the rut. And so right when I was in finishing up college, we started going out archery elk hunting with a group that a group of buddies that all were kind of in that same boat. And so we've been doing that every year since either rifle mostly archery, but sometimes we'll mix in a rifle hunt. And then that just kind of opened up the West. And mm-hmm. and now I try to get in as many hunts as I can. I mean, I, everything's on the table now. Right. So do you remember what that bow was, what the first one you bought was? Yeah, it was a PSE baby G-Force. A <laughs> terrible bow. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's amazing <laughs> how many guys ask that question too, and it's either a Hoyt or a PSE. It's, it, yeah, it was like the only used bow at the shop that fit me. But it was like, oh, I remember that thing was wicked to tune, and <laughs> yeah. you couldn't make any mistakes because it had like a five-inch brace height. Oh yeah. yeah, it was it was a wild bow. 
so what what was the first animal you shot with it did you ever kill a deer with it yeah shot does with it um i never actually brought that one elk hunting because as soon as the as soon as we started going elk hunting i I upgraded to what i got now probably a good Um, call yeah yeah that thing was ancient (laughs) (laughs) so what was the upgrade I bought myself a I bought myself a Matthews Halon, the the original Halon, um, for a great college graduation present to myself back there in twenty sixteen and I've been shooting that ever since. I'm actually I'm actually overdue for a new bow and I'm I'm actually considering switching to Hoyt. So I know I either offended half the people when I said I shoot Matthews <laughs> and I offended the other half when I said I was gonna switch to Hoyt. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, I've been shooting a Bowtech forever, as long as I can remember. Actually, the first bow I think I shot, no, the, the first uh, adult bow I shot was an old high country. But then after that, I went back to Bowtech. So I had a Bowtech youth bow, then a high country, and then I've been shooting Bowtech ever since then. And I had a like a 2013 model until last year, and I sold it and went to a 2011 model Assassin. So I'm actually, I've got an older bow than what you got that I'm still shooting, but it, it works. So there's nothing wrong with it. Hey, yeah, my brother bought a, uh, Matthew Z7 Extreme mm-hmm. back in like 2010, and mm-hmm. he'd still be shooting that bow today, except he won a Halon. So yeah, now he shoots a Halon. Yeah, I um, remember the when the Z7 came out, and it was one of the first true parallel limb bows. And then it wasn't very long after that they started going past parallel with a lot of them. Yeah, it's one of the the Z7 was one of the best bows they ever made for a long time, and you know and that's just why I haven't been so big on getting a new bow lately. Is for like the last. You know, I got my bow in 2016, and there just wasn't a lot of new tech coming out in bows because we've pretty much hit, like, the mechanical limits of how fast you can shoot a stick from a vertical, you know, string. Right. And uh, and so I just didn't really feel a need to do anything, you right. know, upgrade, change anything out. But now I'm looking at trying to shoot an 80-pound draw at mm-hmm. 31 inches, and so I'm trying to get a new bow for that. Yeah, that'll get you pretty good kinetic energy for those elk, huh? Yeah, that's the goal. I'm shooting a little heavier arrow. I'm doing a fixed blade, single bevel, you know, Ed Ashby style setup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to put two holes in those suckers. For a sure. Lot, I mean, everyone's got their own opinion Almost on broadhead. A freight train with something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the goal. Right, right. Um, we've never lost one that we've put two holes in. Yeah, yeah. If you can, definitely, if you can put two holes in them, obviously that's two places that blood can come out of. You're really going to up your odds. Well, and, you, and the other, the big thing is, is one hole is half the holes, right? Obviously. Right. But typically when you got one hole, your arrow's plugging it. Mm-hmm. When you shoot two holes, you get a pass through, then you, there's two holes and there's nothing in the middle of it to plug it up. Right. And so, you know, everything we've had pass throughs on, we've recovered. We've recovered a couple with singles too, but there's every now and then you, you know, we've had a guy hit one in the shoulder and didn't break the blade and we never found that out. That out survived. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. So what is your, what's your setup now? What's your ideal setup for hunting elk? Cause obviously it's going to be different in, I've done a very minimal amount of hunting out West. I went on a mule deer hunt and I set mine. Well, I was set up completely different from my whitetail setup because my whitetail setup, usually I'm not shooting past 30, 35 yards. Um, it is a fairly heavy setup and I'm drawing 70 pounds now for a long time. I just it was at 60 pounds on my whitetail setup. Uh, but then going out west, I wanted something that would shoot a little bit farther and a little bit flatter for mule deer. Now with elk, of course, the the heavier setup is still uh, pretty beneficial as well. But what's your ideal setup for out there uh, just for elk hunting on the archery side? 
Well, I don't know if I have an ideal, but what I'm doing right now is my favorite arrow so far. And it's a 575 grain, which isn't really, I mean, by today's standards, that doesn't even qualify as a heavy arrow, right? right. <laughs> but, but it's heavier and, um, and I'm doing an outsert with a 175 grain tip. And so a lot of that weight is up front. Plus I'm long, like 31 inches, right? So mm-hmm. my arrows are like 32, 33 inches long. Right. And so I get some benefit of the FOC just because how long my arrows are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always a give and take with everything. Like you said, it may not be ideal, but you're, I guess you would your preference be the heavier setup then? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't go any, I, I don't want to go any lighter than that. I was prepared to go to 250s. Mm-hmm. But they didn't shoot as good with my arrows. I would have needed to up my spine stiffness, and I just right. wasn't ready to do that. I had 24 brand-new arrows, so <laughs> right. I stuck with the 175s for now. But I wouldn't be opposed to maybe going to 250s and, and come in at like 650 grams, especially if I get to that 80-pound, 31-inch draw. Right, right. And then you're still I'm halfway in between good. a 30 and a 31, so we'll see which way it goes. Right, right. What's your been your experience with the different types of broadheads out there? Have you shot? mechanicals and regular fixed blades and the single bevels all three or have you just been pretty much shooting single bevels since you've been elk hunting no we've done we've done some switching around with the broadheads early on when we started this whole archery elk hunting um my brother bought a bow to archery elk hunt i think he sat twice with it in his life for whitetails mm-hmm. and he lives 10 minutes from our whitetail farms um and so we didn't have a ton of bow hunting experience, especially in the elk at that time. So we were asking everyone we knew. And the best piece of advice we ever heard was if your elk hunt is going to hinge on a broadhead, don't shoot a broadhead that has a hinge. Okay. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> is that, so, has that been your experience? Well, we've never used a, we've never used a mechanical. There you we go. take it to heart. Yeah. Um, and so my brother was shooting a Schwacker four blade, um, but it was only like an inch, inch and a quarter, mm-hmm. um, four blade, you know, real small, tight broadhead. Right. And he, he shot four or five bulls with it, but he's never had a pass through. He's also shooting like 62, 65 pounds. He's mm-hmm. probably a 28 and a half inch draw. So he, he gets hit a little bit there, but his arrow setup's like 400, 430 grains. Right. And so he recently is like, you know what? I'm going to switch it up. So he switched. We both switched to Grizzlies. Grizzly 175 mm-hmm. or Grizzly stick 175 this year, single bevel. Um, we've had some other guys shooting some various two and three blade. I think most people are shooting like a three blade fix, like a Hellraiser. Right. And uh, we put some elk down with those. Um, but yeah, now me and my brother are doing that that two blade single bevel just to, to prioritize a pass through. Right, right. Uh, yeah. is, you're getting pretty consistent flight on the, the single or the just a two bevel two, I guess. Right. I didn't notice my group sizes really changing that much out to 40, 50, 60 yards. They did hit right of center. So I had to, um, just dial my sight over mm-hmm. when I switched to broadheads for the hunting season. You know, I just, you know, they just didn't fly exactly like field points, but they're still grouped pretty well. Right. Right. So before we get too far down the road here, let's back up a little bit. What part of Minnesota were you guys hunting in? when you were growing up we're central minnesota so we grew up i grew up in alexandria my brother still lives there my my parents live there that's where all of our farms are or in the surrounding area okay. um, so that's where 
a majority of my hunting growing up took place is right on that I-94 corridor where it, like the state of Minnesota really switches from like ag and flat to um, forest and, and eventually like pine forests mm-hmm. in the north and our farms are right in the middle of that transition. So what's the whitetail hunting like in that area? Pretty good? Yeah, I mean, we have no issues at all with population. That's we got plenty of deer, lots of does, mm-hmm. but we are kind of subject to that whole Minnesota Orange Army. And I, where are you guys from, by the way? Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois. Okay, yep. so it's a, probably a little different. So our gun season hits smack dab in the middle of seek and chase. Yeah, like ours phase is five. Phase ours six. is always a week before Thanksgiving, the weekend before Thanksgiving. So. I mean, sometimes it hits the lockdown. Sometimes it hits the end of where they're they're kind of chasing pretty good. It just depends on the year, but uh, it's pretty much right yeah. smack dab in the middle of November. So ours is like, it's either the pre-lock, like buck parade. If I mm-hmm. mean, everyone watches the jury, so it's like right. buck parade is right. our gun hunt every year. So our young bucks get throttled yeah. in Minnesota. Ours do too. Um, so it's kind of, it can be challenging to grow a big buck year after year, uh, but we've done pretty good up until last year we're we're batting you know a a big mature buck on the farm each year and we're still growing them we just didn't shoot one last year right um but we did finally get a buck that we've traced for three years in a row and he came in at 160 and a quarter is basically a mainframe eight like he had he had 13 scorable but you know his his ninth was you know an inch and a half Mm -hmm. his tenth on the other side was broke off and then it was all kickers and junk and splits right yeah, that's a. There's nothing to shake your head about about that. Uh, yeah, one one sixty with that. that yeah, no doubt. We could. We'd be pretty happy. Um, but yeah, so it's always we always got bucks running around. We've always got deer. You know, we're always seeing deer, so that's good. Yeah, I, one thing. Well, many things I appreciate about the way that Iowa runs their DNR. But one thing is their gun season doesn't come in until after November, so you can bow hunt all of November, and that's great for me because I prefer bow hunting anyway. But it also saves a lot of their younger bucks i think yeah they got a lot of good things going for them it's a small state mm-hmm. their gun season's outside of the rut yep um and they're a they're a non-resident draw right? right which is the opposite for minnesota we're a big state our gun season's in the middle of the rut and it's over the counter for non-resident hey we're three for three on with you on that one <laughs> yeah we're very similar in that in that regard for sure we just don't yeah, get quite Illinois as cold. <laughs> right. I think you guys just get the benefit of better ground more consistently yep. through the state. Yep, definitely. Once you get up a little farther north or in the deep south, it does change a little bit. When you get farther north, you kind of get into just ag and not much cover at all. When you get into the deep south, like around the Shawnee Forest, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's pretty much rolling timber, um, I mean, borderline kind of mountainous in places, but where we're at for sure, and then up some of the kind of the central western parts of the state, and then northwestern parts of the state, up in that area, it's a pretty good combination of ag and timber, a good cover for them, and then, of course, some grasses and stuff like that. So while we do have the gun season right in the middle of the rut, and we do see a lot of young deer killed every year, if you get a a decent neighborhood of guys who are somewhat on the same page, uh, I mean, it's nothing to see a few four and a half, five and a half year old deer, you know, every year on your property where you're hunting. Yeah, for sure. And you know, one thing I'm just thinking about is just coming to mind as we're talking, but like, when you look at a state like Iowa, Illinois, even the Dakotas, you, you're talking big egg states, mm-hmm. right? Minnesota for the most part, where, where our farms are is not giant egg country. 
like a big farm where I'm from is a thousand acres where you talk in Iowa, Illinois, the Dakotas, big farms are, you know, five digit acres, yep. 10,000, 15,000. Yep. And so the number of landowners, there's drastically fewer landowners in some of these areas. Mm-hmm. No doubt. And so that's probably helping. It, it's kind of a double edged sword, I'm sure, because it's harder to get access. It's harder to buy your own ground because you got big egg in, in the mix trying to buy everything up. So now you're kind of looking more at lease or permission ground. Mm hmm but you got less hunters probably per square mile or less hunters per piece yeah. versus Minnesota. That's a lot of forties, twenties, hundreds where anybody can really, if they really want to buy a piece, but now you have, you know, easier access on private, but a lot more hunters per square mile. Right. Are you guys, do you have a rifle season up there? Is it shotgun or muzzleloader? Or what is it? We have, well, we have all of them. So our split okay. state split, the South half is shotgun. The North half is rifles. Okay. Um, and then we have a late muzzleloader, which is like, Thanks. I think it starts the weekend of Thanksgiving and rolls for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. So we have, it used to just be shotgun and then there was a late muzzleloader season. Now it's kind of any firearm. It's called considered firearm. Yeah. And then they're bringing in certain chambered, well, certain types of rifles for this coming year. So it'll be a little bit different, but at least we do have the benefit of guys not shooting them at three and 400 yards if they're doing it legally, of course, but there's not guys doing that where we're at. Yeah, so, well, that gets interesting because some of the muzzleloader technology today is, is off the charts. Mm-hmm. And where we're from, and it sounds like where you're from too, muzzleloaders count towards your firearm season. Yep, yep. Right? They didn't used well, to, but they do now, yes. Well, yeah, and I got I have two buddies. One of them shooting 400 yards on whitetails with his muzzleloader. Yeah, I believe it, Another man. one, he showed me a picture of an elk he shot giant bull out in utah shot at 640 yards with his muzzle motor <laughs> i mean they might as well be rifles the the good thing about kind of where we're at is a lot of guys still aren't going to them and i don't know if it's a a price thing or they've just always shotgun hunted that's what they've got or if it's they don't just want to be limited to that one shot but it, the guys that are more serious deer hunters seems like about killing the mature deer are going to muzzle loaders more often because they're not out there, and a lot of guys are out there hunting for meat and stuff, so they don't. They want a shotgun. They can go out there and kill two does, you know, within five minutes or something. Whereas a muzzleloader, maybe you're going out there and you got that one shot at that buck at 300 yards, then you can take him. But I do. We do see some of that. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, like the the 640 dollars, like a custom muzzleloader build from Gunworks or what was it, Arrow? Mm-hmm. I think it was Arrow that built that. You know, it's like a five thousand dollar rifle. Yeah, yeah, no so doubt. Not everyone's going to be doing that for sure. And yeah, that's a big. That's a you know, I hunted with a muzzleloader last year, just for fun during the gun season, just to test it out, new muzzleloader and shoot a doe. But you start to get a little bit more nervous when you only got one chance. Yeah, you gotta you gotta make the shot when you have it. Oh yeah. So, you started hunting elk. I guess you said. Shortly after you graduated college? Yep. So how does that lead into where does you starting the podcast fall? And I guess you started the Two Bucks podcast first before you got in on the Western Rookie. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So um, I hunted archery elk 16, 17, 18, three years in a row. Um, and we had success. I think we shot three bulls in our group in those three years. So we, you know, we were okay, right? We're, we're mm-hmm. batting a little bit above average for a DIY non-resident archery. Yeah, no doubt. And then in 2019, I got drawn for a once in a lifetime elk tag in North Dakota when I was living up there. And 
a lot of people, I tell them about it, and they don't even know that North Dakota's got elk. But right. they do, and they got some monsters. Mm-hmm. And so that entire summer, I was spending as much time out west as I could scouting. Every weekend I had free, sleeping on the toolbox in my truck at night, yeah. under the stars and glass and elk. And this whole time, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm, I'm listening to people that I look up to, you know, Cameron Haynes on the Rogan podcast, mm-hmm. Randy Newberg, Meat Eater, Holly. And I'm just like, man, I want that life. Like, I want to build that life. How do I, how do, I do this for a living? Right. What, what's it going to take, right? I don't want to retire from my desk. And so I spent that whole summer thinking of ideas and I was playing around with some beard oil because I have a beard and I was doing it for myself. And right. It was kind of working and I'm windshield time, just thinking, and there's nothing to do when you're glass and elk in August in North Dakota. <laughs> right. From like there's nothing to do in North Dakota in August. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. And it is, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's yep. hundred miles from anything popping. And so the elk, it's a hundred degrees. So you get like half hour, you know, before the sun rises and after the sun sets, and then you got 12 hours to sit there and think. Mm-hmm. And so that whole time I'm just thinking and planning and, and I kept wondering, like, man, I'd love to start this business, but I don't know what to call it. Like, I can't think of a cool name and I don't know how to collect sales tax. Like the taxes scare me. And so I didn't do anything with it. Okay. Well, fast forward. I find a giant bull. He's probably, he was a seven by eight. I think he was probably about three ninety. Mm-hmm. And, and I was on this bull and that kind of distracted me for a while. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> I found him before season. And then I spent nine days, the first nine days of season. Well, it's, there's a few days before season, but my nine more days trying to find him and I couldn't find him. Mm-hmm. I checked everywhere and, and bow deer bow opened the week before elk. And so there was a ton of bow hunters in that Valley that he was in. And I, I'm like, God, they, those bow hunters must've bumped them. Like right. they must've pushed them out of this Valley and a cold front came along and I'm like, I just can't, I can't miss this cold front. I can't waste this cold front hunting a Valley where this bull hasn't been in nine days. And I can, mind you, I can hunt any weapon. Right. So September 8th, I have, I have a 300 wind mag with a 25 power scope <laughs> in the Badlands. So uh-huh. you can hear bugles for miles and you can see even farther. Right. So I go to this new spot. This is my backup spot where I'd seen some elk, park truck. I take about 20 steps and I hear a bugle back behind me on pi- private. So I, you know, I rip one of myself. I can call decently good. And uh, sure enough, one goes off in front of me. And I'm like, all right, game on. It's on public. I'm running up and over hills. It's wet. It's been raining for days. It's clay and just a disaster. And I finally catch up to these two raghorns and I'm like, oh, shoot. You know, you know, this tag, I'm not, I'm not even taking my safety off unless mm-hmm. it's like 325 for the first week. And so all of a sudden I'm watching these, I'm taking pictures of these two raghorns and I hear a bugle and I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool to be taking pictures of a bugle and elk. You know, right. I've never done that before. And then I realized like, wait a second these two elk aren't moving. Like they didn't bugle. Oh, there's another bull in here. So then I, you know, put the camera away, started running again. And I finally caught up to a, a herd and I could see all these cows through like, it's this meadow, this hillside of grass and then like 10 foot cedars. Mm-hmm. And I can see all these cows milling through. And in the back, I can see this one cedar just having the ride of its life. <laughs> Yep. And this bull is destroying it. All I can see is this top, it's fourth and it's fifth. Yep. And they are big. 
I mean, like, this is a shooter for sure, and I haven't even seen the whole animal yet. Mm-hmm. Well, it took me, like, 45 minutes of calling and wait for that whole herd to filter through and for him to finally give me a shot. And I shot him, rolled down the hill. I uh, thought it was all said and done, right? I shoot him. He dumps, piles up at the bottom of this 30-foot hill he just fell off of. Right. And all of a sudden, he stands back up. And I'm like, okay, I guess we can play this game. And reloaded, shot again, and he just you – know, it's like – it's like if you're like your little niece or nephew just goes back and wallops you, but you're like 200 pounds and they're 20. Right. right? So you just kind of, you don't even really like flinch. That's what it looked like when I was hitting this bull. Just ate it, huh? I, sh- I shot, he just took it. Shot again, he just took it. And he's walking towards me. He's just walking. I'm like, this is wild. I only had three shots in my chamber or in my magazine because it's, you know, it's a three plus one and I don't hunt with one in the chamber. So right. I take one out of my sleeve, throw it in there. By this time, he's about 75 yards closer and he turns sideways and I shoot and I hit him in the spine because, you know, the elevation, I didn't readjust for 30, that 75 yards. So right. it was like five inches high. And then that dropped him. And so finally I can breathe like this whole, you know five months of this tag and planning and scouting and, and, and I was running up and down hills to chase this thing. And it all just kind of accumulated mm-hmm. and I can see him out in this fat, this flat drainage, this like little washout. He's just laying down there and I walked up on him and I noticed, I noticed his beard, his hair on his neck, that dark brown fur, right. all wet and it was beaded up. And then that moment, man, there was such a conviction that washed over me. That was like, it's going to be called bull elk beard oil and I'm going to start it the day I get home. There you go. And so that's kind of what started business. Now, you know, that's fast forward. That's 2019 business launched in early 2020, ran it for a couple of years. And then I met some podcasters and I've always wanted to do a podcast because as you guys already know, I love talking. <laughs> um, and so that kind of said, okay, I'm going to do a podcast. I got friends. I can do it. You know, I can figure it out, mm-hmm. but what's my thing going to be right? Cause there's so many podcasts out there and there's a lot of great podcasts, but there's a lot of podcasts yeah. that if you just took the name out of it and you made the voice, you know, filter the voice. So they all sound the same. You, sometimes you can't tell if it's, you know, this one or that one, right? That's no all, doubt. we're all talking sometimes about the same thing. And so I said, I want to be unique. I want it to be really, I want it to really resonate with me and what I like mm-hmm. and what do I like? Well, I love hunting and I love business. So why don't we make a podcast about, you know, outdoor entrepreneurship? And then I started doing some market research. You know how many outdoor entrepreneurship podcasts I found out there? Probably exactly zero. Exactly zero. I found (laughs) one guy said he used to do one and then he dropped it. And that was about it. So I'm like, perfect. There's no one doing it. Every one of us has said they love to hunt and fish for a living at some point. I say it every day, you know, while I'm eating breakfast. Mm Mm-hmm there's got to be people interested in this. So that's where I started the two bucks podcast. And then fast forward a little bit farther, the guy that really helped me get into podcasting, Dan Matthews, he was running the Western rookie for the sportsman's empire mm-hmm. podcast network. He decided to step back and focus on his family stuff, his family brand, him and his wife's brand. Mm-hmm. It's growing. It's just exploding. So he's like, I'm going to step back and do stuff with that. I think you should hire Brian or not hire, but I think you should let Brian host that podcast. Cause he's, you know, He's just hook, line, and sinker into this whole Western game. He's got, you know, Excel spreadsheets to track points and draw odds and statistics. Right. And so that's how I got offered to do the Western Rookie, and that really brings us up to about right now. Okay, cool. So when did you start the – what year did you start the Two Bucks podcast? Um, 
the two bucks podcast. I started that about a year ago, right? So we're 42, 41, 42 episodes in on the, on the two bucks. Nice. And then Western rookie, I picked up on January and we did like a three month transition. Cool, man. And I thought we've talked about this probably with the last handful of guests is the thing that people really are kind of looking for now is like the authenticity and the realness of it. And I think that's important that you were talking about do something that you like to do. And that's going to be something that, you know, is true to you or whatever. And it's going to make it that much more interesting because it's real. And, and there is definitely an appetite for that in today's world. Yeah. And, and well, the other thing is too, not only is that going to make other people like your podcast more, right. And they're going to resonate with it as well because they can hear that authenticity. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's work sometimes. Like, it's a lot of work. Yeah, no doubt. And if you don't love it, like, actually love it, do it with no audience type of love it, you're going to burn out. You're going to be part of the statistics that say, you know, 90% of podcasts don't make it to their 10th episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. There, there definitely has to be some conviction there, just like any other business. I mean, it all yeah. sounds cool, maybe look cool if you get a picture of somebody behind a microphone. But the bottom line is, it, it, you're right, it is work, and it takes conviction to do good work no matter what it is. Yeah. I mean, I was editing video earlier this afternoon <laughs> and, you know, getting frustrated. My mm-hmm. hard drives are all getting full. Yeah. You know, that you, you're running out of space and you're trying to do, you know, shorts and social media and it adds up. It's, you know, it's a lot. And there's days where it's like, man, I don't like this. Right. <laughs> you know? Yep. And so I love talking to people, but there, you know, there's a lot more work than that, that, that you don't hear in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. You just like when you're just listening to it, you get that final product. But when it comes to putting that all together, definitely takes a lot more time. And then especially like what you're talking about, if you want to do it right and you're doing all the video stuff as well, like we have, we have, we have a YouTube channel. We haven't started doing video on the podcast yet. We did a couple, gosh, I don't know. We were probably 30 episodes or so in and I just wasn't happy with how it turned out because I didn't want to put something out that wasn't good quality. So we quit doing the video until I could get some better equipment and just haven't got around to that yet. But we do have a YouTube channel where we do some stuff. And then if you want to do that right, you got to do the shorts as well, just the way the algorithm works anymore and editing all those videos and picking all that stuff out on top of doing the podcast. It can definitely be a lot, you know, that a lot of that you don't see behind the scenes when you're just listening to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Hit the nail on the head there. And that's why I've been doing a lot of work. Um, streamlining, building efficiency, learning new skills, you know, multi-cam editing. So, you know, instead of cutting and dragging, you know, I can switch between like guest and speaker, guest and host and, you know, scheduling software to get all the shorts uploaded and then they automatically pump out to all the social channels I want them to. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you learn a lot. You definitely learn a lot when you start podcasting. No doubt. So you kind of mentioned it a little bit where you're talking about, you know, everybody that's hunted or fished, probably at some point has thought if they enjoy it how can i make a living out of this and that's kind of what your the two bucks podcast is about but you've had to give us just kind of a short i guess synopsis of what you guys talk about on there what kind of stuff um and content are you doing on the two bucks podcast like what would be an example of something you guys are talking about okay yeah good so the really what it is is it's a podcast that really showcases other people that have done it before Mm -hmm. and to hear their story and 
you know, we're going to get into some YouTube channel stuff, some like real tactical level, like here's how you set up a branded email account because it matters, right? It, it, there's Mm -hmm. a difference between the two bucks at Gmail and Brian at two bucks.com. Yep. Right. And so we'll get into that, but right now the podcast is really storytelling of other brands, other people, um, that we've had on in, in some people you would know, some people you would recognize. We just had Johnny Utah hunt, you know, John Mulligan from Iowa on, mm-hmm. he, you know, he hosts primal divide on TV. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a TV personality on the hunting industry. Right. And to hear him talk and say, you know, I was, I started as a narcotics cop. And then I, I found this brand called wicked tree gear and it was the best hand saw I've ever seen. And I was a forestry. I went to school for forestry. And mm-hmm. so I knew good equipment and, you know, then I met Todd Pringnitz and, and then I went into business with him. I mean, you hear their people's stories and, you know, we've done 41, 42 episodes and the common denominator is people started with nothing. Right. Every one of them, you know, none of them were, yeah, I'm, you know, well, my dad was Dean Cabela. And so I, you know, <laughs> right. Yep. None of them have said that. Not one person has said that yet. They always said, I just kind of started making turkey calls in my in my off time because i was a logger and i had all this extra wood right or you know i was out west hunting and i just got so frustrated with my phone scope that i went and designed a magnetic phone adapter so my my spotter never gets moved or bumped when i try to put my phone on Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just that's the trying to build that inspiration so someone can listen and be like well heck i have i have more going for me than that guy did when he started right and right. he's living my dream right now. Like, what you know, there's no reason why I can't do it too. Right. Like, I, what's keeping me from doing it? I would dare say maybe the common denominator might be the passion between of all of them. All of them would have to have a passion for for that, would they not? Oh yeah. It, well, and it's every one of them have had a dream, and yeah. that's that's big. Like they've they've had a dream that they want to reach for, and they want to achieve. They see it, they see it as a potential option for them. Right. And, and, and that, yeah, they all have that for sure. I'm just saying like, none of them came from money. None of them had a, you know, none of them are trust fund babies. None of them inherited the business from their dad. Um, you know, the closest we've probably ever come is like an outfitter Mm -hmm. who's his family business is outfitting. Right. But he still has to, you know, bust his butt every day. Still has to to have the cojones to do it. Right. Um, yeah. And, and somebody, yeah, but you're right. Yeah. Somebody at some point had to start that too, you know, to hand it down to him. Yeah, you're right. And that was a cousin of mine, long lost cousin. Um, <laughs> but you're right. Like it's all passion and a dream. Like, and I think that's the big difference is some people, they just don't think it's possible for them. Right. For whatever sad reason, they don't believe that that could happen to them. And they never, you never, they never dream like, what if I had 2000 acres in Southeast Iowa and a, and a really popular whitetail show. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, where would I start to get there? If I wanted to do that when I'm 50 and I'm 25, you know, what's the first step? Probably buying 20 acres. Right. You know, yeah, I and think, anyone can do that. I think it's probably, like, maybe a lot of guys say they want that, but then they do start thinking about it, and it's just a lot less work to just go about life and say, man, I wish I could have that, or I wish I would do that. Or, you know, that would be nice or it must be nice instead of actually sitting down like you're talking about and coming up with a plan and getting started, like taking that first step. Because it's it's a lot of work. And like you're t- even talking about with doing the podcast, 
you got to have the drive to do it, and you have to have a direction and a goal and end game where you want to be of some sort that you can strive towards because there's going to be times where it sucks, and there's going to be times where it doesn't do great. Again, going back to podcasting, because we both do that, you'll have episodes that are really great, and you think, okay, this is it. This is where I'm going to break, and we're going to start seeing consistently more a bigger audience, and then the next one just falls flat. And then it, it makes it a lot harder to go back and still do all the same editing and put in the same effort to do it uh, as it did. You know, you still have to do all that stuff like you did on the one that did good to just keep striving towards that end goal. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, you got to have the dream. You got to start with the dream, and but just not everyone's gonna have have that fire to follow through. Mm-hmm. What I've seen, though, what I have seen is that everyone is born with what it takes. Virtually yeah. everyone we have, we, we talk to. I mean, I've met people that are wildly successful, and they don't have anything special about them. Right? You know, they're you're, they're not smarter than you. They're not more wealthy than you. They don't have. They didn't have stronger connections than you. They just started and they didn't quit. Mm-hmm. Drive. Yep. Drive and passion. Yeah, I think that's what it is. You hear a lot about privilege in today's world. And I think, again, that probably comes from partially a place of maybe it's laziness. Maybe there's a better word for it. But for people who look at somebody like, take you mentioned the Drury's earlier, take them, for example, and they don't realize what they actually came from and where they got started doing pedaling VHS tapes and the first one they tried to give out being told that it was horrible and never to come back uh, they don't see all that stuff they just see them where they're at now and they think they were just some silver spoon baby that that all that was handed to them and like you're saying uh, it's not that they're that much more special than anybody else they just had the vision of it and they had the they had the drive to do it you know that they had that dream and then they they worked towards accomplishing their goals yeah, I would, I would agree. And you know, with the juries, um, I'm, I don't know them very well. I mean, I, I only know what they put out, right. Mm-hmm. I haven't talked to them, right. But from what I gather, it sounds like their father was some type of farmer, probably owned some land, a little bit of land, mm-hmm. but I'd wager that what, you know, what they had to work with when they started, isn't any different than most of us have to work with today. Nope. And, uh, you know, maybe probably even less back in those days than what we have today. The, the information we have available, the avenues that we have to do stuff and make connections with people, we honestly probably have have it easier than they did uh, back when they started. Well, imagine if they had YouTube when exactly. they started. I mean, anyone this fall can bring a camera with them in the woods. And the barrier to entry is non-existent. You already have a cell phone. Our cell phones are taking as good a video as the cameras. That oh, yeah. Way better video better. than the cameras they had 40 years <laughs> yeah, ago. Better. Yeah, no doubt about it. And anyone can go viral. And then anyone can start getting paid from YouTube. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we've made it on Facebook creator reels and getting paid for Facebook already. And then obviously Facebook's done away with that program in the last few months. We've made it on TikTok. You know, we're not making money money you right. know i think i made enough to take my my wife out up to dinner <laughs> but hey that's worth um, something <laughs> it's worth something and it's a if you like your wife start, you know? <laughs> yeah yeah it's a start you yep. know i didn't have to go walk into shields or cabela's and say hey i think i got a really good dvd you should buy it mm-hmm. you know like they had to do so yeah you're exactly right we're probably way better off for someone that's got that drive 
way better off for them starting now. Yep. And you do have to take those little wins like what you're talking about, even if it's just enough to take the old lady out to dinner. That's something that you have to take is, okay, I'm making progress. Because if you're just looking at where those big personalities are at now and you're thinking, man, I'm so far away from that, then it could be easy to be discouraged. But you have to take it, uh, take all those little wins. And over time they accumulate, and that's kind of what keeps you going, I think. Right, right. I mean, you gotta, you can't look at, you can't look at how far away you are from the goal. You got to look at how far away you are from where you started. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. And that'll never stop impressing you. You know, like for example, May seventeenth, twenty twenty two, I had zero podcast listens, and I was on track for zero in the entire year. Right. Fast forward to this year, you know, I'm on track for two hundred fifty thousand downloads between the two podcasts. Right. And sure, the Western Rookie, I inherited that from a buddy. And it, it was an established podcast that's got a strong following. Mm-hmm. But I would have never got it if I didn't start my own. You, you know, they don't take a chance on someone without a podcast and say, hey, I think you'd be good at this. Right. No, they listened to the Two Bucks podcast. Dan Johnson checked out my podcast. He had me on his podcast, and he said, yeah, I feel good about this. Right. He knows what he's doing. Yep. And you- it's because I started. Yeah, you had to start. It wasn't like you said they were just going to hand that to somebody off the street because they said they were good at hunting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But and then I could I could make myself all kinds of depressed if I said, well, you know, Mediator does millions per episode. Randy right. Newberg does a hundred thousand per episode. Joe Rogan does more than all of all of paid programming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, everyone. You know, I'm so far away from that. Well, that's you know you're always farther away from someone else. But mm-hmm. look at how far away you you are from from yesterday's you yep yep no doubt so shifting gears a little bit there since you did mention it the western rookie podcast and you've taken that over how long have you been doing that one i've been on the team since january and then in april you know dan started dan started backing down on the podcast march which you know, he was just busy and, and it was just proof was in the pudding that he needed to step down from it because him and his wife's brand was exploding so much. He had his own well-established podcast and then they were starting, um, the, the, we are Dan and Sam podcast. His wife has, has started two or three businesses already again this year. Mm-hmm. Very, very, I mean, they're full-time social media influencers. And so he was just getting pulled every direction. And so eventually he started, he wasn't able to make every podcast recording. And so I was kind of on my own since about March. And then in April, Dan and I went to New Mexico on an elk shed hunting trip. And we kind of recorded the official transition at that point. And then it's been, you know, solely me ever since. Mm -hmm. So with that podcast, are you guys, obviously it's Western content. What, What are you guys doing on a regular basis there as far as your content goes? What do those episodes look like? it has a little bit of the same spirit to be honest of, of helping others instead of helping them, you know, with inspiration and the motivation to start business. It's really just about hunting the West. You know, it's, it's really kind of that podcast that's geared towards a flatland whitetail hunter that's mm-hmm. thinking about going West or maybe they've gone West a couple of times and it's, you know, like most of us, we don't tag out the first trip out West and they're looking for how to get better. You know, what's next? What do I need to do? What do I need to learn? What, what gear can help me? And that's what we really do. So we'll talk to anyone on that side from, you know, I'm going to record one tomorrow night with a buddy that I took on his first mule deer hunt out West a couple of years ago. And we'll just talk about the hunt, what he thought of it coming from that whitetail tree stand and going towards, 
you know, Montana on a mule deer hunt. Right. Two, we'll go all the way up the chain to some of the, you know, there's no limit. We'll have some of the best hunters and, and most experienced Western guys and girls out there mm-hmm. sharing experience and knowledge, and you know. And so it's just all West, you know, sometimes we'll just do storytelling. Sometimes we'll get into like tag strategies. I got some, um, some things in the work this summer to offer like free downloadable packing lists for people to just download and and just have that good solid reference, that Mm -hmm. base foundation of what do I need to bring out here? You know? Yeah, that's cool. Well, I didn't really think about a tire jack and, you know, a a breaker (laughs) bar and a spare tire. I never bring that to my whitetail woods. Um, right. You know, I didn't think about, you know, what are we going to cook with? Right. Right. What are we going to sleep in? You know, all these different things, you know, just to, just to really have that firm foundation, spare batteries for your range finder, but you never think of it when you <laughs> go into your bow hunting stand. Yeah. Cause you're, you're an hour from the house. If that, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely a different world out there and I would love to do more of it and go back and it's definitely in the plans for the future. So one thing we talked about with some of the other podcasters that we've had on is, or some of the guys in the industry, kind of some of the more interesting people that you've been able to either meet or have on your shows. And without, of course, you're going to leave some people out or, or whatever, but who's been some of the more interesting people that you've gotten to talk to, whether that be people that listeners might know or might not know. I think one of my favorite episodes so far on both podcasts are sometimes people that most people don't know, mm-hmm. but, and maybe I don't even know them. And then all of a sudden I start talking and I'm like, wait a second. Right. You hit that. You have that feeling right. wash over you on the Western rookie. We had Ryan Carter on, which for, for folks in the Midwest probably don't know who Ryan Carter is. Right. He's the guy behind DC outfitters out in Utah. And he is an expert at giant elk finding them getting trail camera pictures guiding his clients i mean 400 inch elk and just his knowledge base on big bulls is incredible the stories i mean some of these bulls he's tracked for six years before he put a client on them wow to hear that kind of knowledge and those kind of stories and and from someone that's like as articulate as ryan is in storytelling and speaking that was a really fun episode um I had a, I reached out to a company on two bucks, a podcast number two, podcast number one, I had my buddy Dan Matthews on because he was a podcaster. I'm like, well, if I don't know what I'm doing, he can carry the weight. <laughs> right. There you hey, go. Good choice. And then podcast number two, I said, okay, I'm going to pick a random company off Instagram and I'm just going to have, see if they want to do it. So that way, if I butcher, it's like someone I've never met before. Right. Well, I picked this all in company, Nathan Goodworth, and we start talking about his brand and, and what he's been doing. It turns out that Nathan is one of the most connected entrepreneurs in Utah. He's friends with with the Hush, Eric Chesser, Martin yep. Tag, um, Corey Jacobson. He's got deals with Randy Newberg now, Ryan Carter, uh, Ben DeMonte, uh, just everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so that was one of those moments where I'm like, wait a second, you're talking about you know, shed crazy, Ben, yet your buddy that looks like me, he's like, oh yeah, yeah. You know who he is? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a partner in this business. The that's... mountain ops guys, right? He's yeah. friends, you know, so sometimes that's really cool. We just did an episode, um, on two bucks with Brad Hoppy okay. who invented the double cowgirl musky bait. 
which is arguably the most successful, most popular musky bait ever invented. That's and he's from my hometown in Alexandria. I had no idea. That's crazy. Twenty six years of my life. Crazy. He's sold. He's shipped over a million musky baits with his little startup business he started in two thousand four. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I guess and most people probably don't know his name. I guess that's probably pretty popular up up where you're at in Minnesota, huh? Yeah, Minnesota, Wisconsin. It's really big, really big. I've, um, I've never. That's on my. Well, I'm, I was going to ask a question about bucket list here in a second, but we'll get to that in a minute. But that's definitely on my fishing bucket list is to do uh, a musky, yeah. go catch musky somewhere, a uh, big walleye. That's that's always interested me for some reason. I've, there were a lot of things on the Outdoor Channel, if it wasn't deer hunting, that I would just turn off. But if guys were catching big musky for whatever reason, I'd always watch it. So I don't know what it is about them. But, and I think there are probably a lot of people share that. Oh, yeah, just big dinosaurs in the water. I mm-hmm. mean, he, he said something. Up until 2004, this other bait that's still popular, still around, was the number one bait for 50-inch pike or 50-inch muskies in the boat, right? Mm-hmm. So for like the last 30 years, this bait has put more 50-inch fish in the boat than any other bait. His first year of business, his bait broke the record. That'll do it. <laughs> That'll get you in a good spot pretty quick, won't it? Yeah, and so just to hear like that story, you know, that's super interesting. We've had, I mean, a lot of really interesting folks. Like right. you said, it's hard to pick and choose, but right. those are some of the stories that really stand out to me. Yep. So who would be on for both of the podcast? Who's kind of your bucket list guest? Like who, if you could have one guy on each of them, uh, and that would be like, like your number one guest that you could have on, who would it be? I really look up to Randy Newberg. We've been following Randy in my family a long time, ever since he started Fresh Tracks. My brothers met him a few times and, and pretty friendly with him. Um, done a couple of fundraising events with Randy. Mm-hmm. I've never met him personally. I think for the Western rookie, that would be an amazing guest, just because I don't know if you guys follow Randy Newberg and Fresh Tracks Outdoors, but uh, he his brand is all do-it-yourself, public land, western hunter. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's that just really resonates with what the western rookie is all about. Right. And I love Randy already. So that would be, you know, that would probably be the western rookie pick. Mm-hmm. And then on the Two Bucks podcast, I – that's a tough one, right? That's a real tough one. Right. Yeah. I would have to say right now in time it would be the juries. To yeah. hear the jury's story of, you know, starting out in the beginning. Cause I think so many people look at the juries and say, that's, that's the dream life. I want to do that. I'd love to just plant food plots and mm-hmm. film and, you know, all the camera guys do most of the work and, and, but that'll never happen for me, you know, right, right. with land prices these days and whatnot. But I bet if they told their story, they had the same challenges, mm-hmm. you know, land prices probably did probably suck just as much for them as they did for us with, you know, what, what the working man could earn yep. back then 40 years ago compared to, you know, what you can do now with an engineering degree. Mm-hmm. No, I guarantee you they got stories of setting up a 10 by 10 booth in some hunting expo, expo somewhere, you know, peddling their videos, trying to get their, trying to get it out there. I guarantee it. Yeah, that would be a good one. And then I think to like, um, I think it's Johnny Morrison, founder of Bass Pro. Uh, maybe that sounds right. Yeah, or or the Cabela's family because right. that's like next level 
empire. Yeah. You know, like the juries are obviously the biggest private land, whitetail hunting entity, Lilikowski, like same thing. Right. But the numbers wouldn't even compare to like the Bass Pro. No, you know? that, that's a whole different level for sure. And it's like, yeah, how does that start and grow? Mm-hmm. Right. That would be a great story to document. Yeah. And you know, they have some kind of story like that too. And like, cause like you said, it's, they all kind of have that in common. Yeah, like I started selling baits at the pond at other bass fishermen. Right. And then, you know, we started a shop and then I started a little, you know, a, a you know, a fishing bait uh, stand and you know, who knows what where that started, but to see the empire it's grown into now. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would be a really cool story. Yep. I definitely think I share the Drury one with you. I'd like to have one or one or two of those or both of those guys on at some point. We were able to have uh Forrest Bonin, he's the or Bonin. I always mess up his last name. Oh yeah, Terry's cameraman. Yeah, he he's his cameraman and farm manager. We talked to him last year at some point, and he was a really great guest. Um, just being able to talk to him about what they do and the stuff like that is really interesting. And like you're saying, I think it'd be really cool to pick those guys' brains about how they got started and just listen to the stories, um, this kind of the stuff that they went through when they were cutting their teeth and all that stuff, and then. You know, I think another guy that is kind of on the same level as them, you mentioned the Lukowskis, uh, Michael Waddell, I think, would be another one that would be really interesting, you know, coming up turkey calling and then working for Realtree, which led into road trips, which led into his own brand of Bone Collector, where he's at now, which is a similar empire to Drury Outdoors. I mean, they're, he's easily one of the most recognizable guys in the industry. Yeah, and the only reason I didn't say him is because I've never shot a turkey in my life. I I think <laughs> yeah. it's a foolish sport at sometimes because I'm addicted to shed hunting and food plotting, so I don't have time. Right. And it's mostly because I went for like four years in a row and got my butt kicked every time. So then I decided it <laughs> yep. was stupid. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no there you doubt. go, brand that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, man, I'm really into it the last couple of years. I finally. I didn't do it at all growing up. It was one of those things I mentioned earlier on the outdoor channel. When it come on, I would just turn the turn it off and go outside or whatever. But I did it last year. Killed a bird with Nate, who's also on the podcast. He helped me out because I had no clue what I was doing. Kind of like what you talked about with the podcast. I knew he knew what he was doing, so I figured I'd go with him. And then we killed one last year. Killed another one this year. And when you get on birds, it's a lot of fun. I did spend a lot of time this year not on birds, and that is not so much fun. And especially when, like you're talking, you could be shed hunting or doing food plots or something else. But, yeah, that's he would still be a, a very interesting guest to me as well. And then, actually, Mark Drury got his start in turkey calling as well. I don't know if you, you knew that or not. Yeah, I think I did know that he had some turkey background. And I, now I will have to be honest, or else I'll, I'll have the, the haters come and post. <laughs> me and my wife just bought a farm. Yeah. Uh, here in Minnesota, our own, it's going to be our, you know, our home mm-hmm. a house on 40 acres. And apparently the, I talked to the seller last weekend, apparently the turkeys every spring are strutting right through the backyard. And he <laughs> yeah. shot two of them off the deck with his bow. So, <laughs> hey, you can't beat that. There you go. I might try that next year. So if anyone sees me on Instagram with the turkey picture, I warned you. Right. Yep. Just get out there with your, are you a coffee guy? Uh, no, I'm like oh. an energy, like a 300 milligram energy drink guy. <laughs> okay, are you like a black rifle 300 milligram energy drink guy? My wife does those. Oh, okay, well yeah, you get up I with do, your I do rains. Okay, either way. you get up with your energy drink in the morning, and then you just go sit on the deck and you know with your long sleeve shirt on and shoot a turkey when it comes through the backyard. That's that'd be hard to beat, I would think. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. 
my entire life, I have never brought like good snacks deer hunting. Yeah. Right. You know, it's bottles of water and PBs and J's. Mm -hmm. This last year for the first time, it dawned on me like, Oh, I can bring my morning energy drink to the stand with me. I'll crack it at sunrise and just sip on it while I'm watching deer. You're uh-huh. quick, Game ain't changer. you? <laughs> Game changer. <laughs> Sorry about that, man. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I get the joke. Well, I never drink coffee. My dad's always bringing coffee out to the stand, but I hated yeah. the smell of it. Yeah. And so I was just like, well, I guess I'll just bring water. I didn't really know that there was alternatives. <laughs> I didn't really know I could bring a pet case of Mountain Dew and leave it in the stand. Right. Like the the – Game warden might come get you if you're drinking anything but water. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so. that's that's a, a game changer for sure. I would think a guy going out west that much would have that figured out. You yeah, gotta, you gotta take some snacks out there, huh? Well, we would bring like trail mix and, and sandwiches and, and then we started then I kinda got into cooking. So I have a backpack stove. I made tacos in the fish house like all the time this mm-hmm. winter and um and uh it started getting a little bit more into cooking I, and I'll bring it, I'll bring it in a tree stand and I'll just turn around and put that little backpacking stove on the seat and yeah. cook like easy Mac or, right. um, you know, any kind of mountain house. In, in the fish house, do you ice fish? Is that what you're talking I, about? My father-in-law is a big fisherman okay. and, and yeah. I love fishing. I just don't have any ice fishing gear. So I just tag along with him and bring the snacks. Oh, there you go. There you go. So you can get yeah, your fix. Yeah, we got a good and, straight. Yeah. And it, it doesn't cost you anything extra for another hobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, although I want to start that because I think it would be good opportunities to film and create content and add yeah. to a YouTube channel through the winter where all of my other things kind of dry up. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as I quit hang up the bow deer hunting, I got to wait till like March, April to start shed hunting. And, right. and we'll all be honest, shed hunting doesn't produce the most adrenaline riddle in uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. outdoor TV. <laughs> right. So. No doubt. You were talking about food there and then turkeys. We've had, well, the last couple of years now, Nate, the guy that's helped me kill him, has made us some, I guess you'd call them turkey nuggets. We that's just cut the, them, yeah. cut the breast out of the turkey, and he fries them up. He's got his own little mixture to go with them, and that is honestly some of the best uh, wild your meat. Beat your brains I, out, man. Yeah, that's some of the best wild meat that I've had. So I'm, I'm guessing he, like, cubes them up and then dredges them in, like, a batter mix? Yep, yep. We Deep fries them? We kind of marinate them, soak them, of course, in salt water, and then you can marinate them a little bit, add a little seasoning to that. Then we chunk them up. He's got, we do it, I guess the base breading is like uh, Andy's red seasoning that you put on fish. And then we add a little bit of other stuff in there, some Cajun stuff, some seasoning salt, things like that, whatever you prefer, as much pepper as you can stand because we like pepper. And then throw them in like, uh, fry them like you would fish. The the worst thing you can do is dry it out because it is breast meat. I mean, it's similar to a chicken in ways, but yeah, if you don't dry it out, you don't cook it too long. It's 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 pretty good stuff. Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, we got our like deep frying fish down to a science. Dad's got a laser thermometer. We get it to three hundred sixty five degrees. It's like sixty seconds in and out. Yeah, and man. If you did that on a turkey breast, you ain't drying that thing out. I know. Yeah, it's it's good stuff too. We've done a little bit of we do a little bit of fishing. Uh, bank pulling, catfishing and stuff, and we we do okay frying fish. I'm not going to say we're professionals, but it's definitely edible. We're not well, going like, hungry. I feel like that's a harder fish to – that's a different fish to cook. It it's is. It's got, like, a different oil texture. Like, we cook walleyes and crappies. Mm-hmm. You know, we go to Canada. We're actually fixing to go to Canada here in a couple of weeks, but we do a fish trip up there every year, and but that's all we fish is, like, really lean white meat, and then you get into the, some right. of these other species – 
like no one ever deep fries salmon, right? Because it's too fatty, mm-hmm. and the oil just makes it just reek like you know like old rotten salmon. Right. That's why everyone always smokes it or bakes it. Yep. Yep. We actually yeah. do. I don't know if you've ever had flathead or not, but if you cut, <laughs> I'm from Minnesota, man, not Iowa. <laughs> I, yeah. Right. So if you cut the belly out of those, it's a it is a really white meat, and it's if you throw it on the grill and do it right with some. Lemon pepper and a little bit of butter. It's a really flaky. Yeah, that that's edible too, man. Yeah, I'm it's really me. good stuff. Kind of more like what you're yeah, talking about. It's a really meat. white meat. The belly meat on a flathead is really good on the grill. Yeah, the only you, thing I've ever caught is a bullhead, and I didn't eat it. Oh, that's they're, they're that's bait. good flathead yeah, bait. That's, they're made for flatheads, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever even find yourself in southern Illinois, we'll cook you some catfish. But the worst thing you can do with those is uh, they have that. They call it a mud vein that kind of runs down the middle of it, and we chunk it up anyway so you can cut it out. But that's what really gives it the fishy taste. Uh, but, I mean, past that, it's – I mean, it's fairly easy. If we can do it, anybody can do nah, it. So it, yeah, it, ain't, right. it ain't bad. And we're not yeah. <laughs> So do you ever do any hunt, hunting up in Canada, or is it just fishing trips? Just fishing trips. Um, okay. I had I had some wa- – I was in a waterfall group for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, group of guys that love waterfall hunting, and one of the guys loved going to Canada chasing snows. Yeah, um, but I never went with them on that trip. It's it's so hard to hunt Canada. Like big game, you have to go with a guide. Right. I don't know if you knew that. You have to go guided, or like next to what do they call it? Like you have to know a resident, right? Like you have yeah. a family member or a friend that can be your guide. Right. Otherwise, you have to go outfitted, and it's expensive. Yep, no doubt. And so we've never done that. And then the you know I just don't have the I'm not into the waterfall game like some of these guys are. I don't have any decoys. Mm-hmm. like i'm my personal slogan should be i'll bring the snacks because like i'll go <laughs> yeah. and bring the snacks and, the and all the food and i'll cook for everyone in the blind <laughs> right uh but i don't have decoys you know i'm not gonna spend 15 grand on a trailer right. and decoys like well, you're everybody's guy favorite guy to bring <laughs> <laughs> maybe comic relief and food there you go that's you got to have that in camp every camp you're in those two those two things are very important yeah yeah i got bases covered there yep I, so you guys are doing DIY out west. What is your favorite state to hunt elk? Our favorite's Wyoming. We've had the best success in Wyoming, and it's just because we got a really good spot. Mm-hmm. But, man, like if I had to pick one state for the west, it would be Montana. Yeah. I've Like if I could only hunt one state for the rest of my life, it'd have to be Montana. I got a buddy that hunts in northern Utah, and they got some hogs up there, man. Well... Yeah, if I could ever get drawn in northern Utah, <laughs> northern Utah, but right, right, northern Utah, like, well, not maybe not northern Utah, but parts of Utah are like a twenty-five year draw for elk. Yeah, yep. There's some. I mean, I'm not clearly not as up on that stuff as you are, and I'm not. I wouldn't call myself. Uh, well, I'm just not really. I guess up to date. I don't know how to put it, but on all the drawing stuff. But I know that some of them are incredibly difficult to get into. Is if I'm not mistaken, Arizona is similar in some places. Can be. It cannot be though as right. well. Like Arizona is a great, it's a great state to mix into like a point scheme. Like if you're building points, it could be a good five or 10 year um, state. If you want to do like a letter rifle or, mm-hmm. or something like that. But if you want like prime archery in the best units, that can be a little bit longer draw because that's the right. tag everyone wants, right? right? Like a Gila, New Mexico tag. Um, that's the that's a hard one to draw. Um, so it kind of just depends on what you're looking for for Arizona. The the hardest ones by far 
are Utah, some of Utah's premier units, and some of Colorado's northwest corner units. Those okay. are like max points, 26, and, and they can do the math. And the unless something changes with their with the number of tags they give out, it would take longer than my lifetime to cycle through everyone who's at max points. Right. <laughs> That's crazy. And so for me to get there, like I will die before I even right. have a mathematical chance right. because it's pre-preference. They don't do any random draws. Wow. Um, but then there's, there's, a, there's plenty of opportunity OS. And that's what the whole podcast is really about is helping people just find those opportunities. Mm-hmm. So is uh, Wyoming and Montana, they're not over the counter, are they? Those are draw states, correct? Yeah, they are draw states. Um, Montana has been a draw state with 100% odds for zero points for a long time okay yeah a couple of years ago they ran out of that now it's like um kind of getting to be like an every other year type of thing mm-hmm. wyoming I, has been like their general take has been like a two-year draw now it's and then it was three now it's looking at like maybe even four or five that's point creep mm-hmm. yeah so a little bit shorter term right. the only true over-the-counter states are colorado Mm-hmm. It has a lot of over-the-counter opportunity in Idaho, but Idaho caps there, so they do run out. Okay. Um, so you gotta you gotta get them early, and they go on sale in like December, which is kind of wild. Right. Um, but those are the only two true over-the-counters. The rest of them, if they have over-the-counter opportunity, it's more like they have a drop, but they don't have enough applicants to equal the number of tags. Right. So there's mm-hmm. leftovers. Yeah, a guy that we know hunts Montana pretty much every year he does a rifle hunt up there and he's pretty successful. I think he does a little bit of guiding out there as well, but I yeah. guess that's well. If the new law with Montana. If you go guided, you can get two points per year. Yeah. One point per year. So you basically get guaranteed a tag every year. And I think the deer tags, well, everything's going to change this year. Everything's going to change because of the winter they've been having out West and all of the mortality. Yeah. Um, things could really start changing on how many tags they sell. But up until, like, last year, you could get a meal to your tag almost over the counter in yeah. Montana. Uh, so I guess Colorado is probably so popular because of the over-the-counter, and it is somewhat closer than some of those other states probably. Because you hear a lot about, and a lot of the guys that I know are doing that are going to Colorado, and I assume that's why. Um, well, there's a few reasons, and those are definitely part of them. It, it, access right there's over the counter there's lots of public it is on the closer side of the you know the western united states right but colorado still does have the biggest elk herd in the nation yeah right i mean there are the most elk in colorado compared to any other state Mm -hmm. so it isn't a bad option now it does get a lot of pressure sometimes all those elk aren't in necessarily the -the over-the-counter units but but there's a lot of opportunity in colorado even if you are doing over-the-counter you know do it yourself Mm -hmm. um, to be successful yeah, two buddies of mine actually went out there last year, and both of them uh, were able to kill bulls with their bow. So I would say there's definitely, yeah, if, if kind of you know where to go and you have the the will to get out there and get after them, I would say you could be successful quite often. And, uh, gosh, a distant family member of mine used to rifle hunt out there pretty regular and had a lot of success. So do, what would you say your guys' um, kind of percentage has been over the years when you're going out there? Uh, I used to have that nailed down, but we've had so many tags. Right. Um, so, and then we did a couple of rifle hunts, so that kind of skews things. But I would say we're at about 20%. Okay. Success rates for the number of tags we've had. Yeah, that's, I, 
What is the average success rate? Do you know offhand, like for, I guess, just Wyoming, uh, a guy archery hunting? I don't know about state to state. Um, elk hunting is why, I mean, a lot of people will say elk hunting alone, just elk hunting is mm-hmm. 10%. Wow. That's the overall average. That's, that's, um, guided clients. That's residents with 10,000 acres. That's mm-hmm. DIY guys. That's bow rifle, everything. 10%. That's crazy. I would say a DIY archery is, is half probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty 5%, crazy. percent maybe. So that, which yeah, also says a lot about you guys being up there, you know, around 20%. Clearly, you know what you're doing, and I guess that probably had a lot to do with you getting into the Western Rookie as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I ever got background checked on my tag suit drawer. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, um, you know, I think what makes the difference is we always are trying to learn. Mm -hmm. We're we're doing tons of research on the ecology of elk, what they're eating, where they're going to be, what elevation, what kind of year was it? Was it a hot year? Was it a wet year? how to call. We're always calling. I got elk calls in my truck. I'm always blowing on elk calls. We're trying to learn their language. It is a lot like turkey hunting in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and there's so many vocalizations and, and you have to know what they're trying to tell you when you're bow hunting or, or you will be relying on luck and there's not a lot of luck out there. Right. Yep. Man, I could talk all day and pick your brain about elk hunting because I'm so interested in it and definitely I'm going to get out and do it when I can uh, and I'm definitely going to check out more episodes of the Western rookie because I liked what I did here from the ones I got on. So that's, and I think a lot of guys out here in the Midwest that are hunting whitetails are probably similar uh, to me in that respect, but I don't want to take up too much more of your time, man. So uh, if you want, just let everybody know where they can find the podcast and then where they can find you on social media, YouTube, any of that stuff. Yeah. So, um, first of all, we'll have to get you on the Western rookie podcast sometime and we'll talk through, you know, planning an elk hunt whenever you're getting ready to go and just sure, you know, kind of go through that perspective of it too. Cause I think that would be really relatable to a lot of people listening, especially mm-hmm. if they've never done it before. They don't necessarily maybe always want to listen to the guy that's, you know, an outfitter or world champion elk caller. They want to hear it from someone that's in their shoes. From the, um, the average idiot from Southern Illinois who's trying to do it. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say that. but <laughs> um, No, well, yeah, we'll get you on for sure. But uh, the podcast is found pretty much everywhere podcasts are. We have, a, you know, the hosting platform. So we're on you know, Spotify, Apple are the two big ones, but mm-hmm. you should be able to find it pretty much anywhere. And then the social medias, um, it's really just comes down to the Two Bucks podcast and the Western Rookie. Um, if you search those. We've posted enough. You should pull it up, um, and that should be all you know. Links to everything is everything you need to know right there. So probably Instagram is the big one, and and we try to stay up to date, especially on the two bucks because that's my personal brand. Mm-hmm. And then we're building up some of that consistency on the Western Rookie side since I just took that over. Okay, cool. Is there anything else you want to let people know about that you're doing? Do you still have your beard oil company? I sure do. Bowl out beard oil. Um, it's still there and uh, I don't think it'll ever go away. It's just kind of a pet project that I mm-hmm. love doing. There you go. So. I'll link all that stuff in the description as well, all the way down to the bull elk beard oil where they can find that. So if any of our bearded listeners are looking for a new oil to try, uh, they can go over there and try yours out. Heck yeah. I appreciate that. And I uh, wish you guys the best this summer and this fall. If I don't hear from you before then. Yeah, same to you, man. Like I said, we'll do another one one of these days, and maybe when we get closer to uh, 
to elk season. I'd, I'd love to talk about just kind of what you got going on and your plans for the season as well. So I appreciate you coming on, uh, helping us out this week. Uh, it's been a lot of fun talking to you, and we'll definitely be doing this again sometime. Yeah, catch you, Brian. Hey. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me here. Nice to meet both of you. Yep. All right, see you, Brian.